Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Week 1 Finals episode for 2019 of Refs Roundup. It's great to be back in the studio to chat about the weekend's games and what's happening in the world of refereeing. And a very lovely welcome to my favourite NRL referee and my very favourite husband, Gavin Badger. Hey, Case. Week 1 of the finals and some cracking games of footy. A couple of upsets here and there and, you know, everyone looking forward to the, the two games that we have this weekend. Yeah, it's definitely a di- different weekend of, of footy. A couple of big score lines, which we don't usually see. Um, and then the cracking game down in, in Melbourne, which we'll, uh, we'll touch on a bit later. But it's definitely semi-final season. As much as it's a nice, cold, rainy day in Sydney today, it had that semi-final feel about it on the weekend with some warm weather. And we were all mentioning yesterday at training how it very much felt like pre-season. How were you feeling yesterday yeah, training? Yeah, for, for, for us that, that had to run yesterday at pre-season training, <laughs> it felt like, at, at training, it felt like pre-season. I um, just want to talk about that quickly. On, on Sunday, I was at uh, Bankwest Stadium and... Yeah, the feel there, the warmth in the air, and it was a really warm day. And you know, even though it was a bit of a blight of a scoreline, the atmosphere was it was outstanding. That stadium, it, it's just next level when it comes to a full crowd and the way that the Eels were playing. It just it came alive, and and you could actually feel the noise go through your body. It was it's an awesome experience to be out there for it. Yeah, it came across really well on TV as well. That atmosphere. Um, so we're pretty lucky today to have um, a special guest join us for a bit of a chat. Loose, um, loose term special. <laughs> Loose term lucky. Um, <laughs> uh, one of our fellow NRL referees um, in Grant Atkins. G'day, Grant. Hi, guys. How are you going? Outstanding, mate. Um, we thought it'd be great to have you on the podcast today. And off the top, would like to um, just congratulate you on your appointment this weekend, moving through to week two of the semi finals. So well done, mate. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. Uh... Thanks for those kind words. Uh, and thank you for the kind words around being loose and lucky. I thought they uh, were very apt uh, for introduction. So. Uh, no, in all seriousness... You've done your research, obviously. <laughs> oh, we've, no, we've known you for long enough, mate. Um, Some would say too long. So in all, in all seriousness, it, it is a great achievement to move through to... Um, to week two and three as a, as a referee in semi-finals because, as we know, when we move from round 25 into semi-finals, the number of officials cuts in half and then from week one of semi-finals to, to week two, you know, it cuts in half again. So there's only four of you um, running in the middle this weekend. So um, I guess with that, I'm sure you're really excited for it, but um, just give us a bit of an insight into how you're feeling and how you felt, um, you know, receiving that appointment. Oh, yeah, it was a really nice feeling, actually. Uh, it's the first time I've gone through to week two in the semifinals. Um, back in 2016, I, I did a semifinal with Ben Cummins again, actually. It was down in Melbourne and, and missed out going through uh, that series. And then 17, I missed out uh, the semifinals. Um, then last year, I head ref in week one and, and same again. So it was good to... It kind of felt like... Um, you sort of hear about the tennis players that don't make it past the first week in Wimbledon. But, um, no, it was a really nice feeling to hear that yesterday. And, yeah, it's kind of satisfying to a degree. You know that you start your season back in, oh, I'm going to say November in terms of when we all come back together. But everyone knows that you, you sort of start to get yourself together physically and um, even mentally and emotionally um, pretty soon after done NRL grand final to to gather your thoughts and look at where your season's been and, and obviously start to aim again for probably 11 months time and yeah it's a, it's a long road um and everybody knows that and that's that's not exclusive to refereeing that's across all sports and 
across all different pursuits. But obviously when you've put uh, 22 years or close to 23 years into uh, a passion, as you get to each season, you know that there's a lot on the line and and you obviously take those moments of uh, enjoyment and, and satisfaction when you can because, yeah, they don't come around that often. Yeah, that's really, really well said, mate. Um, you just touched on that, you know, really for us it, it starts the day after the grand final of the, the year before in that, yeah, as much as we get a bit of time off before we come back to training in November, all of us do, you know, everyone, it's just natural that we reflect on, on the season that's been and what we've done and where we want to be in the future and all the rest of it. Is there anything that you can put it down to as to, um, you know, why you managed to, to progress on this year? Um, and I know compared to previous seasons, and we all know in refereeing it's it can be very difficult to judge our success around appointments because it is such a subjective thing. But is there anything you did do different this year or um, it may not have been something different but just the, the level of experience that you now have um, that, that's gotten you to, to now progress on to week two? Um, is there, do you have any insights there? Yeah, I think this year... Uh, and it, I actually do put down the experience. I know that that's a cliche, but as Gavin can probably attest to there, you do learn uh, as time goes on about what's best for your game and how to be consistent week in, week in. Uh, and that's a really, really big thing. Um, you, it's easy to say and everyone goes, oh, you need to be consistent, but it's hard to try and tie down what that actually means and, and what that is. Um, I think by making your performances... Uh, closer together in terms of it's great to have good games and there's games where you won't be as good but if the gap between being a great game and a not so good game is smaller I think you're going to be more comfortable in your own performances and and more confident in what you're actually doing and it's it takes a long time I've been there now since 2009 so that's 10 years and Mm. I'm still learning each week how that happens and I don't think in um, in rugby league itself and in refereeing, you will ever stop learning. Uh, it's, a, it's a funny game that you start probably as a 15 or 16-year-old kid. And a lot, to be honest, a lot of your education in refereeing comes from experiences. Um, you'll end up doing four or five games on a Saturday as a kid. And a lot of those are by yourself. And it's, it's only through moments that happen within games that might pop up again later that season or even a few years down the track where you're like, I've been in this situation before. Uh, I acted a certain way or, or made a decision a certain way in the past and that wasn't great. Or conversely, it was a really good way to deal with it and you, and you do that again. Um, so in terms of experience, you will never, ever stop learning. Um, and there's stuff that I've learned out of last week's game that I take forward. Uh, into this week. Yeah, that's one of the big things in what we do is that a lot of it is self-taught and self-learnt because of experiences and you know, unless you unless you experience them, you don't know how to handle them. So until they come your way, you don't have that, you know, that sort of background to, to deal with it. You just spoke about, you know, 15-year-old kid and, and running around and, and learning your trade back there. Do you want to give us a little bit of a background into sort of your journey in refereeing, like where you started, why you started and, you know, what sort yeah. of kept you progressing and, and when you sort of realised, you know what, this is something that I want to do at the highest level? Yeah, I started uh, back in 1997, so I was year 10 actually, um, and I was playing in the local uh, Penrith competition and 
actually played in under-14s and honestly, like, I didn't like the coach. Um, so I thought, you know what, I could have moved up to Lower Mountains Rugby League Club and played there, which was closer to home, but I thought, oh, I'll just have a year off. Uh, and a guy that I went to school with was refereeing at the time and said, you make a little bit of money out of it. And uh, I didn't have a part-time job at the time, so I was happy to, to go to the footy still on the weekend and I think it was about $1,000 by the end of the year. Um, and for me, that was okay. Um, I was sort of studied pretty hard and things like that, so I didn't really want to work midweek. Um, but became involved in the Penrith Referees Association back then and turned out that in 98, the coach was... Uh, still there, so I thought oh, I'll referee again. And then it was from there, a few people sort of said, "Oh, look, you go okay at, at refereeing." Um, and it was the same thing. I was still going to make some money and and keep fit. And before I knew it, it was sort of saw some progression, some pathway through the junior rep program uh, back then. And then once again, I went went to uni, and it became another source of income. Uh, but you also found a really good network of friends in refereeing. And I think that's one of the biggest things is that although it's a, an individual pursuit, what you, what you do on a weekend, particularly at a young age, you're sort of out there by yourself and it's a really isolated environment. You actually have a really good network of people involved in junior rugby league refereeing. Um, and I think that comes from the fact that they actually just want to be involved in the sport and contribute back to the sport. Uh, and they tend to look after each other. And I was lucky enough to come through that period of time where some of the guys that sat in that same classroom back in 1997 um, was at St Dominic's College at Kingswood uh, went on to be godfather to my kids and uh, best man at my wedding and things like that so that friendship network became really strong and it became a, a great environment to be involved in rugby league Yeah so talk about your environment in rugby league and being involved in rugby league you in a sort of unique position where you've virtually grown up around rugby league your whole life has sort of been focused around it with you know a father who played at the at the mm. highest level um sort of what impacts did that have on your future in the game sort of always being around it and probably you know without sort of preempting what you're going to say having a love for the game before you can even yeah. remember oh well obviously dad was really successful um he was really successful in his playing career. He played 150 first grade games for the Parramatta and the Roosters and um, won premierships in, in the 80s and things like that. And for me, growing up, that was obviously my hero. Uh, that was one of those things that I'm sure for most people that their father is is a hero to them. But um, for me, it was he his dad as well. Noel played uh, first grade at Parramatta and was involved in there for a number of years and Growing up, that's all I wanted to play first grade. Yeah. Um, but one thing that Dad did teach, he doesn't watch the game now, which is quite interesting. Um, and he always taught me from a young age that it's just a game, right? It's just a hobby. Make sure you study. Make sure you've got something behind you because it might not work out. Uh, and he, he credits his success to playing with some really, really good guys uh, and talented players. They were in his side. But that also saw a lot of value in having balance in what you do in your career. And Dad was a high school teacher, or still is a high school teacher. Um, so he would, he'd play on a Sunday um, at Cumberland Oval or the cricket ground or what became Paramount Stadium. And would then go and teach at Trish Brothers Blacktown where it was, you'd turn up with knocks and bruises and 
whatever it might be, and you had to go and uh, earn a earn a dollar on the Monday. And what that did for him was it created a really nice balance between what is elite, what was elite sport at the time, and and all the adversity that comes with that, and the challenges. And the three of us can attest to how it can challenge you not only physically but emotionally and mentally. Uh, but making sure that you had the balance where you went back into the real world, where you know what there are people that are in that classroom or in that staff room that, that have greater challenges than what you'll ever have. And um, I like to think that that's probably the greatest lesson that he taught me about it. And it, it's I still learn now about trying to get that balance right where you don't put all your eggs in the one basket. I think it's interesting um, hearing that from you, Grant, because one of the questions I was going to ask you was um, did you ever feel any pressure to be involved in the game or to succeed, whether it was within the game in any capacity or just to be a successful person in any any element of life like when you have um you know when you have family members who did so well at at the elite level in any field um you know did you ever feel any sort of pressure to I guess live up to that or live up to a family name and how, how would you deal with that no not really um dad's a really humble guy so for him, as when you talk to a lot of other people, they actually talk more about his success than he ever does uh, or ever has. So when I'm in that, when I was in that household growing up, it wasn't as if that was uh, the greatest achievement that he'd ever had in his life, uh, which therefore didn't put too much priority on, on sport or rugby league being a bit of a litmus test as to how successful you are. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that also came with education. I know that well, him being a teacher and a lot of our stuff became about doing it, just do your best. Um, and we had to do homework and we had rules and all those things that dad was a pretty hard taskmaster, but he is well, often described as being um, firm but fair. And I, I think we sort of grew a lot out of that, my sister and I, in terms of where we based our priority around education and learning and the HSC. Um, so probably... There's probably a bit more pressure around doing that and achieving um, a really good score to get into university yeah. um, than there ever was around sport. And Dad, Dad's always said that it, it's just a game and it's just sport. It doesn't it doesn't matter. It's something that Dad always said football was something he just did on the weekend. Yeah. It wasn't what he based any of his life success on. Yeah, it's def- obviously a really good lesson, um, you know, for you and your, and your sister to, le- to learn um, as, as children and as teenagers. Um, and you spoke about that balance between, um, I guess, fo- you know, whether it was football and f- for your father and for yourself at the moment and balancing that with things outside of football, whether it be family, whether it be work, education studies and all the rest of it. Um, Sort of a couple of questions there, like how how do you balance it, and what advice would you give other referees in that in balancing it? And I guess how do you um, you're known as one of the biggest jokers within the group? Um, not, not, not good at it. Not but... good jokes, very much dad jokes. Um, <laughs> but you don't take yourself too seriously. And I guess from 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 knowing you and from what you've just sort of spoken about, I guess is that an outlet in just how you carry yourself to make sure that you're not taking yourself too seriously, that you know that, yes, it's important what I do, but it's not the be-all and end-all and I'm not going to take myself seriously, you know, every second of the day. Um, you know, yeah. there, there is a role for being relaxed and, and enjoying yourself and, in, and enjoying football as well. Yeah, and it's probably harder 
nowadays that it's a full-time career mm-hmm. to get that balance right uh, because you live and breathe it pretty much every day of the week. Uh, I know that Tuesdays are our day off, um, but still the Tuesday becomes the day when you find out where you're going next week. So mm. you're sort of you're just getting over the week that was and then come sort of midday, you, you start, once you find out where you're going, you start to prepare for the following week. But you actually have to, it's going to sound weird, but you have to work hard at finding time to yourself uh, and I've found that there's a number of outlets that I've sort of taken up the last two, three years. Um, and one of those has been reading. Uh, and what it is, it's just reading a book, but you're not distracted by your phone or you're not distracted by the radio or the TV, which is all speaking about, generally, about the sport that you're involved in. Um, and I've found that a really comforting way to sort of spend time by myself. Um, but also, just like I've taken up the guitar, and that's another thing. It's just about challenging. You probably have sensed that when we talk about rugby league and education, that I like to, once I start at something, I want to be the best at it. Yeah. Um, and so taking up guitar has been a really good challenge. I've had it for a few years, but it's something that I, um, I really enjoy doing because it's some time just to be by myself. Um, and, yeah, it's... I think what you mentioned there, and it probably goes back to the question you asked earlier around why why I've had a better year this year. Um, I've actually, and you guys have prepared with me, I'm a little bit different to a lot of other guys where I'm happy to have a joke even up to the point of where we're walking out the tunnel. Um, and for me, it's just enjoy the game because like, it can go in an instant. Uh, and it'll be gone soon. I look back now and I go, well, 10 years have, have flown by already. Um, I'm probably over halfway through my career now. I'm going to have to start being in the moment a little bit more about where I am and what I'm doing. And and it probably goes back to where I mentioned about that network of people and, and referees in general. You actually, at the NRL level, are in, revolved, or sorry, it's revolved around and includes a lot of really, really good people who become um, really good mates. And if you're spending time with your mates and you're working with your friends and who are colleagues, that's, that's a wonderful thing. Um, you get to travel the world and go out into these big stadiums such as Bank West on the weekend with friends and with mates and, and you're doing it together and it's, you've all come there to do something you love and, and you're able to do it with your small team. And I think that's something that the more we value that, uh, the better we'll feel about being involved in in the NRL and rugby league in general. Yeah, it, it is that the, the culture and, and and the interaction with the squad is a big part of making our our health day to day and and our weekend job enjoyable. Um, so oh, that... no, sorry, Badge. I just I would jump in there. And it's, I might have mentioned this in the office a few times, but I reckon at the end of your career, if I look back now after two hundred and sixty games, you don't generally remember particular games or scores or controversies as such, but you remember moments yeah. um, of sort of where you are and, and what you did and who you did it with. Um, and they're, they're the really special things that you'll take away when you eventually retire and you're like, that was pretty cool, right? <laughs> that was that was really cool. And you know what? For all those Sundays that I um, were involved, was involved in from 97 onwards, where it 
to be honest, there's a lot of weekends where you left as a junior referee and said, I'm quitting. I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> we've all yeah, been we've through all that. We've spoken and, about that before. And it, it happens, right? And it's, I've always said that there's, the NRL is full of referees that didn't quit. Yeah. The moment you give it away, it's the end of that journey. Yeah. Uh, and so those moments make up for that. Yeah, we get, we get to do some cool stuff. Um, off the back of that, so you say you've been around for a little while now. And so at, at the NRL, we have a leadership group, which you are now part of th- that group. Um, so could you sort of have a little bit of an explanation on what that group does and how that impacts the culture and, you know, the positivity and just the squad balance and, and you know, and how it can mm. set the platform for, for what we do daily? Yeah, well, I'll start. This is my first year in it, and it's, it's a really challenging task. Um, I don't think, like, I was out of it last year, and you, when you're out of it, you expect a lot of those in the leadership group, and you expect them to do a lot. And it's easy to sort of say that until you're involved. Um, but what it is, I think, is it's not an elite group or anything like that, but it's a it's an opportunity to sort of be the people in the group that hopefully others can look to for, for one, a bit of guidance, but a fair bit of positive role modelling. Uh, and that's that has helped me this season where I feel like now I'm in the leadership group, I probably need to step up a little bit and um, sort of dot the I's and cross the T's a bit more. Um, so it's got... It's, I've had some personal gain out of it, but I think it's a matter of creating a little bit of a, a conduit between management and, and the squad themselves. Um, but you also, a lot of it has to do with welfare of other referees um, and just checking in on them. And it's not, and you know what, it's not easy because sometimes some of the things that have happened this year and, and probably in past years, they're not easy topics to broach. Uh, but without that leadership group um, in the past, people that probably needed someone in the squad to reach out to them that hasn't been there. I think as a group now, we're we're actually a lot better at um, people interacting with each other and and having those conversations that probably need to happen, even for those that are not involved in the leadership group, um, but just as as colleagues and and referees alike. So, look, it's going to be one of those things that, like in all things in refereeing, you aim to get better at, and I think the leadership group will aim to to be better again next year and the year after and, and going forward because well, I can see great value in it. Yeah. We've, we've spoken previously on the podcast about the culture within the squad and badge, you know, having been around for, you know, forever, forever and a day, <laughs> 19 Dickety 2. He, um, you know, he's seen so many variations of squad dynamics and I guess cultures within the group. And, you know, we've spoken about how, recent recently um you know over the last couple of years how good that squad overall how good the squad culture is um you speak about you know how you know you get to turn up every day and do stuff with your some of your best mates um and it definitely uh does have a positive effect on the whole on the whole group and but as you say there's always you know there's always room for improvement and you guys on the leadership group definitely um help us to to drive that um before we wrap up mate i just wanted to um mention that you also have your own podcast um do you want to give that a little bit of a plug and what tell, tell everyone what that's about yeah, it was a little bit of a project uh, sort of started a couple of years ago, but well, I've been a bit black on it recently, but it was called The View from the Middle podcast, uh, which interviewed 
referees and match officials from all different sports, um, just to sort of get an insight into what it takes to be an, uh, a sports official at an elite level. And it's, it's quite interesting when you talk to guys like Simon Torfel from uh, the ICC, who was obviously a test cricketer, um, uh, sorry, test umpire, Michael Aylan, who referees in the NBL, but uh, the gold medal match referee at the Olympics for the basketball. Um, there's a whole range of sporting officials that are actually, they have a whole lot of similarities about the challenges they face. Um, and when you do talk to them, it's, it's quite interesting how sometimes with the NRL, we tend to think that um, we're just sort of, we're just doing our best. Uh, whereas you look at other officials in other sports and they look at the NRL as a little bit of a, a benchmark as to the professionalism of it. And I, sometimes it, it takes that little bit of feedback to, to realise where we actually are as a group. But it's, yeah, the conversations are very, very interesting because it's, uh, I think, sports official officialdom across the board is have a lot to share and a lot to uh, a lot in common and I think it's, it's something that we probably should look at more often in terms of how other sports do it. Mm, yeah, definitely agree. Um, so just yeah, encourage everyone jump on whatever podcast app you use and look for uh, view from the middle. Um, there's yeah. pl- plenty of good conversations that you've had then, like you said, sharing. Um, the, the commonalities between sports and even for, for people who aren't referees who listen to this podcast, um, just to give get an insight into those other sports and what officials do and sort of see the challenges that they face versus what we do in the, in the NRL as well. Um, one last thing, mate, before you go, you mm. spoke about picking up the guitar. What's your stage? Mm. What would your stage name be? Or, oh, or what would, you be, would you, would you form a band and would you be the, the front man for the band? Uh, definitely be uh, You'd be the front man no. for sure. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. You'd have face I'll... paint. No, I deny that because I actually glitter? recorded. No, I recorded <laughs> it the other day. Um, some some of the music I played and I sang along to it, and it was disgraceful with singing. So <laughs> it'd, um, if it would just be the audio of the the music, but yeah, it's uh, look if. If I get brave enough, I might bring it in one day. But I'm still no, waiting. Anyhow. I've been we're, waiting we're for two waiting, years out of, for this performance. Out of everyone in the squad, you're the one that I can see getting up on stage with a body, bit of body glitter and rocking out a performance. I don't need a guitar for that. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. All right, thanks again for joining us, mate, and um, well, no done, well done on the appointment this weekend. Yeah, mate, well done. Thank, Thank you. you. Catch you tomorrow. Great. See you, Grant. Um, Yeah, great to hear from Grant. He's one of the... We speak about him being one of the jokers of the squad, but he's also a very uh, insightful person. He does like to have some of those deeper conversations and very well-educated, and that definitely comes across in that conversation. Yeah, actually, we probably missed our opportunity to get him to tell one of his jokes. Oh, Um, there's a reason why I didn't ask him to do that. (laughs) Because he has got numerous amounts of jokes, and it gets to a point where... You start a conversation with him and you're waiting for the punchline because you're not sure if he's being serious. Ser- or, or, when he asks you a question, th- there's yeah. something coming, and um, that's the beauty of having blokes like Grant, Grant around because you just never know what's coming, and, and it makes your day even better. Yeah. Um, all right. So we'll move on to a couple of talking points from the weekend, and they both came out of the game which I happened to be at um, down in Melbourne, uh, Melbourne and Canberra game, and there's been quite a bit of, of controversy around it. Uh, the first incident uh, was spoken about yesterday. Graham Annesley spoke about it in his Monday briefing. It was an incident where a um, Ryan Pappenhausen was t- tackled without the ball off a long break that Melbourne make. Um, I think it was Elliot Whitehead 
can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, I think um, it was. And what should have happened was that that would be a penalty and it would have been a, a, a simbin because it was a professional foul because they were in a try-scoring situation because um, the Melbourne could have passed to, to Ryan Pappenhausen and there's a good lot, there's a chance he would have scored a try. Um, and just quickly, when you talk about jag backs, it's when a support player is tackled off the ball in, they sort of made a break. It was off second tackle off the kickoff and yep. Melbourne shifted to the left edge and made a break. And then, yeah, the support player on the inside got taken out without the ball. It's an incident that probably no one picks up live. Um, I mean, supporters and, and, and stuff like that. It sort of oh, happens it's off the ball. Oh, because it's kind of off camera. And it's it, all, yeah. it doesn't happen. It's not an obvious thing because there's a lot of people around yep. at the time. So it's not something that sort of jumped out straight away. But in review um, of the game, it sort of it comes out that this should have been a, a penalty in a yep. sin bin. Now, what, what was most disappointing out of this uh, when we reviewed the game? And not, not even when we re- reviewed straight the away. game because we knew... Uh, when we came off the field, uh, we found out that it was it was missed. Is that it actually wasn't missed um, at the time? Um, Ashley Klein was in the control was the head referee and in the control refereeing position with Chris Sutton as the assist referee in that position. Um, so when we talk roles and responsibilities, things that happen off the ball are generally in the wheelhouse. We say that all four of us own a percentage of calls, yeah. but there are just certain things based on where they happen, how play unfolds, that a, a certain person owns a great percentage of that call. In this sort of scenario, the assist referee, so Chris Sutton, holds the greatest responsibility for that call and he sees it and he calls it. The rest of us on the field, including Ashley, who would be the main person who needs to hear it, don't um, hear Chris call for the penalty. So what I want to do before we continue to talk about it is I want to actually play that piece of audio to give people a bit of an understanding of um, what it sounded like, um, what we were all sort of saying at the time and just how it all unfolds. So the start of this clip comes from a kickoff from Canberra. There's one play the ball, long break into into the incident. So it's about a 20 second clip. Yeah, so let's, let's have a little bit of a listen right now. We have the kickoff. We have the first hit up by Melbourne, and then you hear Chris Sutton in the pocket position say, "You're on your own here, Ash." So what happens there is that there's just a small little hold from two players um, after the play the ball. So the role of the assist referee is to stay with that because if that eventuates into anything, if there's if someone tries to punch or slap, yep, then he right. he's there for it. That breaks up. Meanwhile, there's a pass. There's shift out. Kenny Bromwich throws. To, I think it was Justin Ollum onto Josh Adakar. Josh makes a break down the, the sideline. That's where you hear all that crowd noise start to pick up. Passes back inside to Justin Ollum, who kind of looks to pass, but Ryan Pappenhausen, well, no one was there. He wouldn't have seen anyone there. Ryan Pappenhausen was coming up on the inside, but was tackled off the ball. You hear Chris say, 
tackled without the ball and then penalty, 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 and then drops off the core. So Ashley doesn't hear that. There would be no reason at all for Ashley to have not penalised that if he if he hears it. And, and the thing in that is if the referee is going to override a call, which they do at some stages, yep. um, there'll be some recognition of that. Yep. So it won't be silence. In that situation, if, if Ash had heard it and didn't agree with the call, he'd say, no, I'm playing on. Yeah. Or, or thanks, we're going Thanks, here. we're going with it. There'd be some kind of you know acknowledgement to I've heard it yep. and I'm choosing to do whatever. Yep. Where yeah, in this case, you don't hear that. Yeah. Um, I didn't hear it either because then you hear me then talking about the 10, 10 metres, metres off because yeah. it's off a break and we need there's obviously a retreating defence there because um, if I hear it, then... You know, a role would be for all of us to start yelling, to, Ash, yelling Ash. it and getting him to, to stop the game. Um, unfortunately, the way play unfolds, we none of us heard it. And that just can happen in stadiums where crowd goes up. There's a moment like that where there's a long a break. You know, people are cheering. Um, these type of stadiums that hold the sounding, we've spoken about on this podcast before, the couple of different stadiums where it is particularly loud. Yeah, and there's a big part, a, a big part of it is when Chris is calling that, you hear actually he's talking to players and stuff at the yeah. same time as well. So you've got crowd noise, you've got you're running mm. as well. So that's there's also that part that you've got to take in it when you're running. It's, it's you know harder, harder to, to hear as well. Here, yeah. um, you've got Ash is talking at the same time as Chris is trying to, to talk, and you can hear how loud Chris is trying to yell mm. because how loud the crowd noise is. Yeah. If there's no noise, that everyone yeah you know, we'd hear that in Sydney. Yeah. You know, from Melbourne, it was, <laughs> he was yelling that loud. So it just goes to show that sometimes something that it seems so obvious mm. and, you know, we, we, we should pick up that sometimes it doesn't, it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. So there was a question thrown out um, by certain people about, well, why didn't the assist ref, so why didn't Chris Sutton just blow the whistle? So he knows it's a penalty. Why doesn't he blow the whistle and have a penalty and simbin the player? Um I think for everyone within the refereeing world, we all know why that doesn't happen. And I guess we sort of thought we'd have a bit of a conversation around that and, and how the um, how we've evolved, we've spoken about before, the role of the head referee to the assist referee in that the game wanted there to be a control referee, a head referee who has the majority of the responsibility for the game. Well, it's not only that... Look, that's not the, the only factor. You can't have two people in control at the same time in our game. I know it happens in other sports, in basketball and AFL, and they have different... But you, it, say that situation happens and you have Chris Sutton there blowing the penalty because he's got a, a jag back, mm. and at exactly the same time, Ashley Klein's blowing a penalty because he's got a high tackle yeah. or because he's got something else for the other team. So we've got two penalties blowing exactly the same time. You know That would just create the, the utmost confusion. So... At, as we've spoken about before, there's only one person in control of the game at any particular time so that we don't have those you know, differing decisions on the same decision. Yeah. So in this case, yeah, it happened to be that Chris had to relay his message to Ash. Um, in a perfect world, Ash would have got that. In this case, he doesn't and yeah. um, he pays the so, penalty. So, so the way it unfolded, I think we have mentioned it in the past, is that when two referees first came in, we had that 50-50 split and there was a Big game, uh, Manly in the Gold Coast. Manly Gold Coast, yeah. Um, where um, Gold Coast get a penalty. Gold Coast get a penalty bell. on the bell to win the game, which the lesser experienced referee blew the penalty for. Much lesser experienced. We had one referee done two hundred fifty games. Done, done the grand 10. finals. One who's yeah had had done hardly any. And all the talk was around. Well, why do we have 
the best referee in our game not refereeing the crucial moments of a game. And that's how it all all evolved to where we've got a system now which has been in place for a number of years now and it's, hold, it's held us in good stead. The system does work. Um, unfortunately... It, we, we, we can't always have scenarios that cover... We can't have a system that covers every single scenario. Occasionally, something out of the box happens and it happened to happen on the weekend. But this scenario, no matter what system we've had in two refs, would have been exactly the same. We've never had yeah, it in true. two refs where two either of the referees could have blown it. That's it's true. always been, no matter what the system was, only one referee was in control. And right. we've all known on-field different reasons why, who was in control. Mm. We've always... Yeah, I mean, there's always... A, a controlling ref and a non-controlling ref, whether the split was 50-50, 70-30, whether 100 nil, whatever. Yep. So no matter what system we've ever had, this situation still would have been there. Yep. Um, we then, off the back of that, so that then uh, Melbourne get tackled. Um, I think, yeah, Justin Olam gets tackled. Uh, there's then a play the ball and then there's a penalty against Jet, which you would have heard in that audio. Then a penalty does come on the next tackle for holding down against Jared Croker. In that incident, Jared Croker was trying to steal the ball one on one, so there was some confusion over who had the ball. Ashley Klein says to the ruck, Melbourne ball, Melbourne ball. And then it was just took too long for play to unfold uh, for the defender to release, ends up being a penalty. Um, and there was some talk around, well, can you go back and Simbin? Right, uh... But once the moment's gone again, all well and good to sit here and go, well, in that exact incidence, we would have lived with, with that, but it just opens a can of worms. We just can't, yeah. We can sit there in reflection. In the cold hard light of day now, we can sit here and say, well, we could have done this, we could have done that. When you're in the heat of the battle, in a major game, yeah. when, when something had never, ever been done before, you've got, never to, you've got to make before. decisions that you feel are best for that game at that time. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, in this case, we, we got a couple wrong. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, it's going to happen sometimes. Well, Hopefully um, not too often. Yeah. Uh, well, the biggest talking point out of that game was right on the death, was the, the touchline decision, um, which has been spoken about a, a great deal and um, you know, quite quite over the top in, in many areas. Um, but we, you know, it'd be, it wouldn't be good of us to come on the podcast here and, and not mention it. Yeah, I, I, I'd rather not talk about it at all because I think it's been, you know, Played out all weekend yeah. and well, it's overly played out, well, but yeah. The I, reason I why I want to talk about it is that I want to explain from an official's point of view what actually happened because the thing I'm sick of hearing is people saying he had one job. Yeah. He had one job. The touch judge has more than one job and in that moment had more than one job. So we have a short kickoff. So Canberra score a try, puts them up, um, puts them in, in, in the lead with whatever it was, a minute to go in the game. So, of course, Melbourne are going to go for a short kickoff, try and get the ball back, have one last shot. So when that happens, when there's going to be a short kickoff, the touch judge stands on the halfway line. So usually we're back down near the corner post. We stand on the halfway line um, and you would have heard in that first clip, you, at the kickoff, Ashley says the word kick because we just get in the habit of every time the player kicks the ball from a kickoff or goal line drop out, we say that word for this scenario because when there's a short kickoff, we say kick. The touch judges standing on the halfway line help the referee in identifying on or offside chases yep. because in this sort of scenario, we can't have an offside, someone who's a foot, a metre, step, whatever, in front of the line end up getting the ball back, potentially winning yep. the game. So we know there's a heightened risk of that. So we place our resources on that halfway line to see if players are on or offside. And the reason we do that is, uh, firstly, we say kick is because the touch judge who is in line with the line can't, 
see when the ball is actually kicked because you have players sort of right there. And that's so by the timing of the kick, we then marry the, that you up. can marry that up with, okay, they're all still behind the line. Yep. So touch judge has to go from standing on the halfway line and judging if those players are on side. The touch judge then needs to run down the field based on where the ball goes. So usually the idea minimum of a short kickoff is a minimum of 10, 10 metres. And it all depends on what type of kick it is. Is it low, where is it landing. high, where it's landing, all of that. But you're going to assist in has the ball travelled 10 metres. There's potential escorts there. So you've got to assist with that. You then need – you potentially are assisting with a kick contest a in the decision air. Decision in the air, yep. But with that decision in the air, it depends where the ball also is because that player could have jumped – well, have they jumped from in the field or outside the field? Yep. Then when they land, where have they landed? Then when they hit the ground, you're then – also, you're probably in the closest proximity to it. So you've got a heightened responsibility on you – know, has, has the ball come out? Is it knocked forward? Is it knocked backwards? Is there a high tackle? And you've got the touchline there as well. Obviously, touchline is we say touchline's number one because you're the sole judge of it as the as the touch judge. But you have more than one job, so it's not like as a touch judge I can just stand there on the line, look at the touchline, and look at nothing else, and go I wipe my hands of everything else. Yeah. I have more jobs than just that. So I just wanted to give a, a bit of context around that. Then when we looked at the when you look at the still shot, that behind view, which is obviously what the touch judge has, because that's where he has to be positioned for the way play unfolded, it's pretty damn close. It's tight. And anyone who's got any sort of common sense can look at that and go, it is it is tight. And it happens quickly. And yes, it's wrong. And he'll pay he pays the price for that this weekend by not being appointed. Um, but no one else pays the price like an like an on-field official does. Players can make we've spoken about this before. Players can make mistakes, and next week will still be appointed. So, South Sydney are playing this weekend, and Melbourne are playing this weekend. Those players are still they they lost a game. They're still going to play. If Canberra lost and the Roosters lost, those players would still be playing this weekend. We lose like an official loses in inverted commas in that they didn't perform well. You're not there. Season's Especially dust- this time of year. Season's dusted. Yeah, and, and, and I. You know, I, I didn't not want to talk about it because I, you know, I'm not here to defend the decision. The decision's incorrect. And we ne- this time of year, we put so much pressure on ourselves to get those decisions right. And this one's wrong. And yes, we need to be better and get them right. They're big decisions, game-changing decisions. So it's not about coming on here and trying to defend the decision mm. because not at all. But the rhetoric that happens post it and the way that they carry on, mm. you know, we talk about and, you know, we talk about players and mental health and stuff like that. We don't often talk about it when it hits our side of, the, of, yeah. of that channel. You know what I mean? Like, we, the players might cop it once a year or twice a year. We cop it week in, week well, out. There was a really good article in one of the papers on the weekend and there was a quote from Nelson Asofa-Solomona about um, Josh Adekar and saying he's taking it really hard and it's our job as a team to rally around him and support him and get him through that. Absolutely. And, and the game does that as and, well. And, yeah, and absolutely. Totally, totally agree with that. It's the exact same thing with the touch judge from that game. Yeah, he was devastated. He was absolutely devastated. And it's our job as a group of officials and then within the game as well to support him and get him through that. Which goes back to what Grant was saying earlier around, you know, the, the squad and how we do it. And, I've got, I, well, I know for a fact that the support from the squad has helped Michael get through that. And you might sit and go, well, you know, it's a decision and we move on. But this has ended his season from, like Grant said, he started in November. Hmm. 
to get to a position where he's put himself in a position where he can then go on to, to you know, maybe get a grand final where that's now dusted yeah. on, on the base of, you know, a one-second snippet out of 80 minutes of a game, which was reasonably well-officiated. And, it, and it's not just losing an appointment or a potential to go on to a, to um, be appointed to a grand final. It's the abuse that comes with and, it. And then, yeah, which is post just... that where people saying, you know, they're professional, they sh- you know, they shouldn't make mistakes. If I made a mistake in my job, I'd be sacked and, you know, all that stuff. And, you know, it just... It just, it just Yeah, it just gets way... It really... Well, I'm, I'm a big social media person, you know I mean? Like, mm. There's some of the referees that don't even have social media. There's some that have it but don't sort of jump on it and, that, and I'm really big on social media I just enjoy the interaction and stuff um, well, after that game on the weekend I really seriously considered just shutting it all down because it just it was, I was getting really annoyed with some of the stuff that I'd seen and then just the miseducation and just the, the total nonsense that was coming out of some people we, uh, and the other side of that is I saw some really good support as well yeah. you know some people in the game whether it be ex-players whether it be players whether it be commentators that there was some really good support so that sort of sort of Brought you up a bit of humanity, of and you go, well, there are some decent people out there as well. Yeah. Um, so, with the what you just mentioned about a bit of misinformation or um, not having the education around what we do, I just wanted to touch on why the bunker couldn't overturn that decision because we saw a lot of comments yeah, around that of going, that. of going, oh, well, after a replay, you could see why didn't the bunker just tell them get all up this and play million the ball. dollars worth of technology and we can't use it. There, there are reasons, there are plenty of reasons why the bunker only intervenes in point scoring situations where we refer a decision to the bunker and in areas of foul play. And that's because we're, our game is not a game like the NFL where we stop and start after everything. Otherwise, we'll get to the point where, well, why wouldn't we... Why wouldn't we check everything? And we, yeah, and that's and that's what we're getting. And we can't go well. Well, this one we could have we could have just fixed it because it was there. Because then you become inconsistent in a game. Yeah. Because there's another knock on. There could be another knock on earlier in the game. Yeah. That sort of the game doesn't stop for it. Yeah. So we can't fix that one. Yeah. Where all of a sudden we fix it, so we become inconsistent and unfair to one team. Yeah. You know, so yeah. And yeah, yeah we can't. Rugby league fans, we don't a, want the bunker like intervening. Like we spoke about decision. earlier, in this exact scenario, it's very easy to go. Oh well, just tell just them that it. it's right and just get. Um, Vunavali to get up and play the ball and it and it's all good, but <laughs> again, it's just not what our what our game is about. And again, it opens a, a can of worms. Um, so this weekend, <laughs> round round two of semi-finals. It, it all happens again, and we'll have plenty to talk about. Hopefully, all good stuff. Yeah. So round two of semi-finals. Looking forward to um, to, to those games, and very much also looking forward to round two of the women's competition. Yeah, the NRLW. Um, I was fortunate enough, like I said, I was out at Parramatta on the weekend and, and got to watch a little bit of um, the uh, Dragons and Broncos game, uh, which was, yeah, it just shows the Broncos lose five of their top players mm. and they still go out there and win. They've obviously got a good system in place. It just, it, it just shows. Like, in all honesty, I went out there expecting that the Dragons would probably um, get over the top of the, of the Broncos and the longer the game went, I went, oh, this ain't mm. going to the script, I don't think. Well, I, th- I was down in Melbourne and watching that game, um, Warrior, the Warriors-Roosters game, from the very first set, so Roosters kick off, the Warriors go in one set, yeah. the length of the field, and I was like, whoa, like the... So the quality of the competition from the very first set of the first game this season already was so high, well, set the bar very high. Well, I heard a, um, Corbin McGregor talking over the weekend. I've heard a couple of other girls talking um, about a longer preseason this mm. year going in. And then you look at the all the results are in strength testing and speed testing that are all much improved on last Gosh, season, yeah. which then creates a better product mm. because, you know, fitter, stronger, you know, we, we get what we saw over the weekend. And, you know, if, if that's... 
the the, the low point for this season where we, you know, we're in for some really good footy over the next couple of weeks. Really yeah. excited. Yep. Um, all right, what are you up to this weekend? Um, very little, actually. Um, uh, uh, rugby league never stops. I've got some junior rep trials on Saturday morning at a beautiful Henson Park that I'll go out and watch some young referees and maybe give them some of my knowledge and help them a little bit um, if they want to take it. Um, and then uh, watch a bit of footy. Friday night, actually, I'll go out to ANZ and watch the... The South and Manly game should yep. be should be good. Yep. What about yourself? Uh, heading across the ditch. One Again. more one more New Zealand trip for the year. Um, refereeing the Warriors and Dragons. Um, so first time the a women's NRL game um, has had a standalone fixture, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's um, exciting. Yeah, pretty pretty exciting. So very um, you know very happy to be getting out there and get getting amongst it. Um, I'm sure the the Kiwi fans will turn up out there, and I, I reckon we'll get a pretty good crowd out yeah. there for that one. And then the next weekend, then there's a standalone fixture in Sydney at Leichhardt like over, over on Sunday. So we'll definitely go out and sit on the hill that day as well. All right. Uh, as always, encourage everyone as we speak about social media in a positive <laughs> light to join our Facebook and Instagram pages. And our Facebook page is NRL. Our Facebook page is NRL officiating, and our Instagram handle is at NRL officiating. So give us a follow to keep up to date with what's happening in the world of rugby league officials across the country, from under sixes through to the NRL. And if you're interested in becoming a referee, please visit refrugbyleague.com. Thank you for listening to this week's Refs Roundup. Bye. 